You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's preacher is Pastor Brian Flammy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because according to his great mercy, he has caused you, dear Jacob, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfailing, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Jacob, you have gained the certain promise and knowledge that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You have become a member of our chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All of this is to say that baptism now saves you. In the world, when people join an exclusive group, it becomes for them a reason to boast. I suppose that, you know, you joined the club you were always angling to get into. Now you have uh, a reason to get puffed up with pride and conceit. But it is not that way among the saints of Christ's church. St. Paul implores you, Jacob, and indeed he implores all of the saints to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit is the heavenly doctrine, the teaching, the preached teaching that gives us Jesus and all of his gifts. And it results in the peace of our united confession of faith. We're bound together in a doctrine and a confession that speaks about a God who humbles himself, who becomes man, who suffers, and who dies for sinners to give life to the world. Christ's humility, a humility that loves until death, has become yours in baptism. It's a humility that suffers the scorn of the proud, that always looks for and finds the smallest and the lowest spot at the table, and it finds its honor only in the Master's voice when he says, Friend, move up higher. Today, you and all of the saints, Jacob, learn that the Christian church is a fellowship of the humble who have been exalted by God's word. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the very first thing that is required of the baptized, of the saints? Well, first of all, we give thanks. And then, second, we learn to love God's word. We learn to love all of his word including, yes, his law and his commandments. Just like we sang and prayed together from Psalm 119 at the beginning of the service. You see, by the help of the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts, in our souls, in our minds, we start to love God. And we start to love our neighbor 
as ourselves, just as St. Paul implores us. Now, in the world, there are always these shows of humility and displays of humility. And sometimes, from time to time, we might think that the world's displays of humility resemble or come close to Christian humility, but I don't think so. I think that the world's idea of humility is pitting, is pitting the, the Word of God against itself. Or at least it's pitting loving God and loving your neighbor against itself. You see, the idea is that if I am spending my time loving God, then I just simply don't have the time, the energy, the right to spend too much time thinking about, you know, other people. Right? My thoughts are, have been too sanctified to actually be concerned about, well, all the people that surround me in this life. On the other hand, if I take care too much about God and His Word, then surely that means that I don't pay attention enough to other people. That I don't love others. Especially, especially if they have a different doctrine and a different teaching than I do. See, the world would have you think that if you really loved other people, then you would find a way to harmonize your teaching with their teaching so that these divisions of teachings wouldn't come between us. The idea is that it is arrogant. If I am to say that my confession of who Christ is and what he has done for me is correct, according to the Scriptures, and that another person's confession from the Holy Scriptures is a twisted one. It doesn't get it right. Now, both of these, you know, the idea that you, we can love God but not the neighbor or love the neighbor but not God, those are false humilities. And it was the misconception behind the Pharisees' trap, this trap that they set for our Lord when he went to go dine with them. You see, they tried to put Jesus between a rock and a hard place. They engineered a situation. They thought to themselves, will Jesus heal this man with dropsy on the Sabbath and break the Sabbath? and show that he loves man more than God? Or will he keep the Sabbath, not do anything for this man with dropsy, when he's healed all these other people who have come to him before, and show that he loves God, but he doesn't have any concern for men? Either way, the idea is he'll break one of the commandments, either the first table of the law or the second. Because, just like everybody knows, you can't really love God and your neighbor at the same time. Now, Jesus, you can imagine, when he receives this invitation and his disciples see the invitation that Jesus received, no, they just know it's a trap because this happened just a few months before Jesus would come into Bethany and then up to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. It was no secret that the Pharisees and the scribes and the elders wanted Jesus dead and that they were merely looking for a chance to catch our Lord in a mistake so they could justify their hatred and their murder. But yet, Jesus comes. He comes in humility. You see, because Jesus doesn't go for his own sake, for the sake of his own pride. He doesn't come, he doesn't come for the sake of his own uh, position over the Pharisees. He comes for them. To preach to them, to save their souls. And so you can see the situation that night. Uh, you could cut the tension with a knife. There, are every eye in, in, in that banquet hall was locked uh, on Jesus. And Jesus, 
was looking right back at them. They were even too afraid to ask their question, so Jesus had to ask it for them. He says, is it lawful to heal a man on the Sabbath or not? Now the moment of decision, what is he going to do? He grabs the man with dropsy. He heals him and puts him away. <laughs> and then he looks right at him and says, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? Of course they would. They're all hypocrites for putting Jesus to this test. Jesus silences them. It's as if Jesus went, walked right up to a bear trap, pushed his hand into the center of the, of the trigger of the trap, and, as, and then nothing, nothing at all happens. Jesus proves and teaches that God's word cannot be set against itself. The law does not set up impossible situations of choosing God or choosing your neighbor. Jesus shows that this humility and this righteousness that the Pharisees had been clinging to was totally false and wrong. It was built on the commandments of men, which the Pharisees thought that that they could use to dedicate their lives to God by spurning their own moms and dads, just as Jesus teaches in Mark chapter 7. You see, they thought they could turn their backs on their God-given vocations of serving their neighbors to serve greater vocations, to do greater works than what they could find in the humble Ten Commandments. But dear Christians, you know, you know that the highest worship that you can give to God is to live a life that's measured and governed by the commandments. As a Christian, this means living a life of faith, of hearing God's word, and of rejoicing and receiving his gifts. As a son, it means honoring your mom and your dad by obeying other authorities. As a husband, it means, it means living a life of sacrifice and denial learned from watching how Jesus gives up his life for his bride, the Holy Christian Church. And this is the point. You and I, we can never find contentment with these humble vocations if we get to our honor and our exaltation and our righteousness by our own works, by our own doing. As soon as we put ourselves at the beginning of that equation, God's word can never make sense. The law must always be pitted against itself. And the Ten Commandments will always seem cheap and unimportant. The Word of God will always be filled with these unsettleable dichotomies rather than being a harmony of the preaching of repentance and our Christian duties that flow from fearing, loving, and trusting in God above all things. Jesus knew that at that moment when he was at this feast with the Pharisees, He knew that the most loving thing that he could do for these men was to shut them up, to silence them. It didn't look nice, but it's what they needed. He had to show them just how ignorant of the law they truly were. And then, now, he's about to dash their self-contrived honor. You see, like all sinners, and like us, our flesh always maneuvers in social situations so that we can 
show ourselves to be just a little bit better or a little bit more important than the guy next to us, right? It's kind of funny. Jesus talks about this, uh, and we, I'm sure the, the higher critical scholars out there would be quick to talk about, you know, how uh, dinner parties happened in the Middle East and stuff like that, but we know how it, it, it still happens like that among us also. You're invited to a party, and then you know you want to show yourself to be important by rubbing shoulders with the person who invited you, the important people at the party. You know, if Wolf Mueller's there, you spend all your time hanging around him. <laughs> oh, man. And this is where Jesus finds his end, to tell them about true honor and true exaltation. True honor and exaltation in Jesus' feast, the feast that he himself gives, is never earned, nor is it brought with you into the, into the banquet hall. It is always given to you. It is a gift. Jesus says, when you are invited... Go and sit at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Honor among Christ's saints, and even honor in the Master's own eyes, is imputed. It's given. It's a gift of grace. You hear it? You're washed with it, and you believe it. This is the righteousness that comes by faith to all who have been humbled and laid low by God's law. And dear Jacob, your baptism has thrust you not into a lived life of perfection, but a life of repentance, of being laid low by the law, and of being lifted up by the gospel. Every single day, from this day forth until the day you die, you will stand under the demands of God who says that you must love him and your neighbor as yourself, and you will know that, along with the rest of the Pharisees, that you have made compromises. You've chosen to pay attention to some commandments, but not to others. Still worse, you'll have your flesh that's still with you, that's dragging you down into the mire of twisted desire and corrupted appetites. The world would call these corruptions and abominations good works, and you'll have to fight with that. And now I promise you, you're definitely on the devil's radar. You have his attention. His accusation of your sins, his accusation about your worthiness, all of this will dig into you and threaten to pull you into despair. But now you have this, an invitation, a promise, the voice of Almighty God that says to you when you were dead in your trespasses, Friend, move up higher. Why? Because the Lamb's blood has been shed. And despite what Satan says, God's anger has been extinguished. The grave, the penalty for sin, it is empty. And now Jesus, true God and flesh of your own flesh, sits at the Father's right hand as your advocate, and he says, This man is my own. I died for him. My blood purchased his entrance into the resurrection, into eternal life. 
He was humbled by your law, but now exalt him for my sake, Heavenly Father, by your promise that the Holy Spirit might give him life-giving faith. Dear saints, this is the foundation of true Christian humility. On our own, none of us amounts to anything in God's sight. And if we could lay our hearts bare, we would see that we truly don't amount to anything over our brother either. But Christ has lifted us in the resurrection of our souls in baptism. We all bear the honor of his death and life, not our own. And that is also how we learn to consider one another as fellow redeemed, as sinners who have been lifted up by Jesus, by his word and faith. This is also, by the way, how we should consider our neighbors who are not of the Christian faith. They are sinners for whom Christ has died. The promise of baptism is also for them and for their children. And thanks be to God that the Lord sends these gifts into the ends of the world so that sinners like us might hear the gospel and be made righteous by grace through faith. This word of God that makes righteous, this alone is our honor and our privilege. We should always rejoice in this voice of God that through his word and sacraments, he has lifted us up to see the Father's smiling face. Let us always learn true humility from Christ that loves both God and our neighbor, even unto death. And let us also regard one another, not as people in this world, but according to what God tells us and what he declares us to be. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.